So, Father, we love you, and we thank you for a beautiful day and for your mercy and your grace, and we thank you that you are good. And we pray right now that you would fill us to overflowing with your Holy Spirit and that you would minister to our hearts tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I'm going to... Um, I'm going to just read Titus 1, and um, this is what he says. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, a faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, remember that, promised before the beginning of time and at his appointed season, he brought his word to light through the preaching entrusted to me, by the command of God our Savior. So that's Paul's introduction. Hey, this is who I am. To Titus, my true son in the common faith, grace and peace to you from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. And then this is what he says to Titus. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. An elder must be blameless. The husband of but one wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy method, message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. For there are many rebellious people, mere talkers and deceivers, especially those, especially those in the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they are ruining whole households by teaching things that ought not they ought not to teach, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. Even one of our, uh, even one of their own, and by their own they mean Cretan, because this is on the island of Crete. Even one of their own prophets has said, Cretans are always liars. Now remember what we read before, that Paul is a servant of God who does not lie. But one of the Cretan prophets said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. And then Paul goes on and says... <laughs> This testimony is true. <laughs> Therefore, rebuke them sharply so they will be sound in the faith and will pay no attention to Jewish myths or to the commands of those who reject the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciousness, consciences are corrupted. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. Welcome to Leadership Titus. Now, I want to talk about leadership because here is where Titus is. Titus, I left you in Crete so that you could finish what needs to be done. That is, we need elders. And this is the kind of elders we need. They have to be hospitable. They have to have children who believe. They have to be this and that and this and that and this and that. And you read the qualifications for elder in here and you're like, wow. How many of you know 25 men who live in Central Florida 
who fit all of these qualifications. Right off the top of your head, you know 25 men who fit all these qualifications. But this is what God says. This is how, how elders are supposed to be. So now, then he goes on and he says, you know, the Cretan prophets say <laughs> they're just liars, gluttons, and beasts. <laughs> you know, they don't do anything right. So good luck. You know, he doesn't say that. He doesn't say good luck. But he says, so what are you going to do? Like, what are you going to do? You're in a mess. You're in a pickle. Now, so the reason I want to say that is because leadership is about problem solving. People think leadership is about sitting in front of a room with a microphone or standing on a stage with a microphone. Leadership is about serving and it's about solving problems. And I hate solving problems. When Mike said, come and talk to me or Meredith, I'm like, no, don't talk to me. Talk to Sarah Jeffers. <laughs> and I'm just kidding because I will talk to anyone. But conflict between two people is sad to me. I never want there to be conflict. I never want there to be problems. I never want people to not serve the Lord. I never want people to backslide. I never want people to sin. The most harp, the only times that Mike and I have knelt by our bed and cried is when someone falls into sin. And I mean, I can tell you it's heartbreaking when you love someone and they that you think they know the Lord and then they start sleeping with some guy, throwing away their walk with the Lord or they do something deceptive or dishonest and for a leader it is heartbreaking and this is why because you know Christ is worthy of us living for him in a way that honors him Christ is worthy and and then not only that sin destroys people it hurts people you know, Satan tricks people into sinning, and they get hurt. Their lives are ruined forever. You know, I have watched people do things, and 25 years later, they're still paying the price for that thing. Satan is not our friend. So I just say that because when you, if you make a choice at any level to be a leader, to be a mother in the faith, then you will find yourself like Titus, faced with an impossible situation, <laughs> dealing with people who are unruly, dealing with people who are sincere and love the Lord, and trying to herd them all somehow together on a mission to honor Christ. Does that make sense? So, the best place to prepare to be a leader is in your home because you probably will have the privilege of having unruly children. <laughs> that is great practice. And how many of you ever have had children that you feel exasperated with? You have felt exasperated with your children. Or maybe you've babysat children and in the babysitting situation you have felt <coughs> exasperated. 
Like, why are they disobeying me? Or why are they screaming? And see, you know, that is such good training ground for leadership because God set, well, I'm not, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you why in a second. I'm going to get to that. I'm going to go to the next chapter, but I want you to know there's Titus. Now, what Paul says is, Hey, this group right here, you just tell them what's what you say, look, you're a Christian. You're not going to live like that. You're not going to tell my people they have to get circumcised. You're not going to, you know, do all these impure things. You're not going to lie. You're not going to do this. You're not going to do that. You know what? You need to stop. And sometimes you do have to say that. But now we come to the mission. Titus is there on a mission. He's supposed to raise up leaders. So what is he going to do that's going to effectively cause him to raise up leaders? And I think it's in the very next chapter. He says... You must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. So he's saying to Titus, you know, set an example for these young men, because Titus is a young man too. In your teaching, show integrity seriousness and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything to try to please them not to talk back to them and not to steal from them but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make everything about god our savior attractive For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness, no touch, and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, while we await the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from the wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These then are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. At the very beginning of this chapter, Paul says to Titus, you must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Now, the first thing we usually think of when we think of sound doctrine is, oh, we need to learn theology, right? Isn't that what all of you think of? So, but sound doctrine is applying the word of God to daily life. And if we can't apply the word of God to daily life, then we cause confusion in other people's minds. Um, 
I was talking to, you know, I've taught how many people, how many of you met people who've said, you know, I'm not serving the Lord because I saw so-and-so and he was my teen leader or he was my pastor and he had an affair or he stopped believing in God or, you know, did something terrible. How many of you met someone like that? And that's their excuse that I'm not serving God now because Christians are hypocrites. Well, that's not really valid, but Paul does say, don't, don't you be the one that causes someone to say that. Don't you be the one that causes someone to give you as an excuse. If they give you as an excuse, let them be ashamed because they know it's not true. Does that make sense? But what I love is he says, we'll make the teaching of God attractive if we live like this. Now, and I'm going to focus in on the women part that he says, but he goes through the different groups. He goes through the, the older men. He goes through the older women, the younger women, and then the younger men. So one of the things that um, it says in First Timothy 5, 1 and 2 is he says, Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, treat older men as fathers, older women as mothers, younger men as brothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. I think in both of these chapters, you get a sense that God is not creating a country club. God is not creating an organization. God is creating a family. And when we minister to people, when we serve, when we lead in the body of Christ, we lead the exact same way we would lead in our home. That is why your home qualifies you or disqualifies you. Now, as women, we have a different set of kind of standards when you look at deaconess and deacon. So um, a woman is not disqualified by a disbelieving husband. So if, if a woman is married to a man who doesn't believe, she can still be a leader in the church. But if a man is married to a woman who doesn't believe, he cannot be a leader in the church. Because if the man's authority is here, the woman's authority is here below the man. Do you understand that? So if you're married to a man who doesn't believe, it will not disqualify you from leadership. I just, I just wanted to let you guys know that because, um, you know, basically um, you are accountable to be faithful in what you have to be faithful in. But a man is responsible for how his wife behaves and how his children behave. Okay? Now, I'm not sure that people, all pastors in the body of Christ, take that seriously. But they should, because God wrote it in his word in several different places. And I think we need to take that very seriously. And I would be hesitant to follow someone that did not have his family in order. Because God 
sets the body of Christ as the bigger picture of the family. In fact, the body of Christ is the real family and our families are the shadow of what is to come. Does that make sense? So the real family is the eternal family in heaven that we're together with for millions and billions of years. But the shadow is our earthly family that we are absolutely committed to because the body, the Bible says if we don't take care of our earthly family, we're worse than an infidel. So we have to make our earthly family a priority. I'm not saying the earthly family isn't a priority, but I'm saying the eternal family is the forever family. So it is very important that we get that down in our spirits that God sees us as his children, as a family. And he expects us to treat one another with the same honor and respect you would show a grandfather or a great aunt or kindness that you would show a child. Does that make sense? Now, some of you think to yourself, oh, wow, I'm a little convicted because I don't really do a great job at treating my family well. So then if you have a heart for any kind of leadership, your most important task ahead of you is to learn to honor and love your family. So that is what gives you credibility. If you're, you, you will find that not only your spiritual children, but your physical children will actually give you credibility in your ministry. And that doesn't mean your children are going to be perfect and you have to have perfect children to minister. That's not what I'm saying. Because watching someone go through a difficult thing, a child that has fallen away and see that child come back and the way you do it, Everything is about the way we do things. It's not that everything goes well for us. It's not that everything goes perfect. What gives us credibility as a woman of God is how we walk it through. Does that make sense? Because if we love Jesus and we trust him and we know that God does not lie, if we know that, we will walk through things differently. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, with all that said, you will make a million mistakes. You will constantly be asking people to forgive you. That is the nature of living in the flesh. Okay? So, all right. So, older women. Older women are to be reverent in the way they live. And they are to not be addicted, not have um, addictions in their life, and they're to teach what is good. So if we mentor a younger woman, say Mary L begins to mentor Gracie, then Mary L, even though you're a very young woman, you would need to meet those qualifications. You would need to be reverent in the way you live. You would need to um, not be a slanderer. You would need to not be addicted. 
and you would need to teach what is good. Okay, so if, if we are going to take someone else under our wing, we need to see ourselves as an older woman in that situation. All of us at all times are older women and younger women because there are always other women in the body of Christ who can pour into us as older women. And there'll always be someone who is younger than you. I mean, if a baby Christian walked in right now, every single one of you would be able to pour into her life. Okay. So then the question is, what are the things that we need to focus on as women to teach? The first thing is to love their husbands and to love their children. And I'm going to talk about husbands. For, actually, I'm going to go back to Reverend. I think of all the things in there, in our culture today, reverence is despised. If someone is reverent and, and they respect authority and they honor God and they have a gentle and quiet spirit, they are looked down on. That is just where our culture is at right now. That thing is not esteemed, you know? And so um, you you have to make a decision in your mind. I'm going to be reverent. Whether I'm embraced and applauded by the world or not, I'm going to be a person who reverences God and I reverence other people and treat them with honor and respect. Reverence implies humility. And so, you know, there's a humility about a woman of God who is pouring into other people. Okay. So the first thing is loving, loving your husband. Um, Now, you would think that it would be so easy to love your husband because after all you fell in love with them and now you're married and everything is blissful and happy but the real reason that it's hard to love our husbands doesn't have anything to do with our husbands it has to do with the fact that by nature we're very selfish can I hear an amen <laughs> Everyone's looking at me. <laughs> Did you just say it? By nature, we're very selfish, and so we tend to look at life how it affects us. And loving people, especially loving our husbands, means we look at life in how things affect them. And are they fulfilled? Are they happy? Are they blessed? You know, are the things that they dream about happening coming to pass in their life? What can you do to make that happen? That's the heart of love. You want other people to be blessed so much that you're willing to sacrifice so that they can be blessed. So if you're not married, then the people that you would want to love like that would be your parents. And... All of you know right now when I said that, that your parents aren't perfect. You will marry a man who's not perfect too. 
but you want to have that heart towards your parents because the Bible says, honor your father and mother that it may go well with you and you may enjoy long life on earth. And, um, I mean, we have to honor our parents after we're married too, but the idea of being on the team of someone is what love is. You almost think of yourself like if you would if you would say to someone, Marissa, I am on your team. No matter what happens, no matter where you go, no matter what you do, I'm on your team. I'm behind you. I'm for you. I'm not going to, I'm not giving up on you. And that's love. And love is not about, love does not evaluate how someone is doing loving you because no one ever measures up. No one does. And so if you can leave that in God's hands and just love your, your parents, love your husband, if you can do that and allow God to be the one to, and remember I said last week, you cannot lead someone who is trying to fix you you know, it's hard to love someone who's trying to fix you. So, um, uh, is there, oh, okay. Sorry. Okay, so the next thing is loving your children. Loving your children. Um, loving your husband and loving your children are different because in loving your children, you're responsible for their behavior you're responsible for imparting to them. You're responsible to teach them. And as they get older and older, you're loosening and allowing them more and more to make their own choices to, you know, go out. Do you know what I'm saying? So, you know, when they're little, this is what you eat. This is what you wear. I remember Juliana at a very young age, I think 18 months, started dressing herself. And I would never know what she was going to put on or how she was going to fix her hair. You know, but I wanted to give her that independence of, you know, being out there on her own. And Jenny Rose and Katie Beth were not, they didn't really care. You know, they would, I'd lay out their clothes and they would put them on and they'd be all happy. But well, Emma says, <laughs> Now I find out. She was so reverent, I never knew. <laughs> okay, well, the thing with, with loving your children is that, um, and, and this is, okay, and let me say this about loving your husband. In any situation, in any relationship, it is never loving to pretend that sin is okay. You know, it's never loving. So, um, and to act like, because I, I, wow, I should do a whole talk on our relationship with our husband, but I won't, I won't, I won't right now. But it is never okay to pretend because if you love someone, you want them to be right with God and you want them to be holy. And especially if they're a believer. And, um, I remember coming to a place and I haven't always stuck to this, but I've really tried is 
if I only share stuff with Mike that will help him to be the man of God, God has called him to be. So I actually try not to talk to him when I'm frustrated. Now, like I said, I've broken that many times, but that's my goal. My goal is to not talk to him when I'm frustrated. Um, and I, I have tried the same with my children, Oh, that although that has been broken a million more times. That's the intention of my heart. It is much harder because there's so much like correction. There's so much teaching. There's so much training. So it's harder. Um, so I'm going to just give a couple of tips on loving your children. Never raise your voice with your children. You will probably blow it and yell at your children sometimes and then just repent and move on. But treat your children with kindness. And we're going to talk about this a little later. If you feel like you're losing it and you're going to scream or you're going to yell, then just say, mommy will be right back. Go into a bathroom, go into a bedroom, close the door and say, Lord, please help me. I am losing it. I'm about to yell. I cannot stop this. Please, please help me. And if your kids ask, where did you go? <laughs> say, I was about to scream, but I went and I prayed and I asked God to help me not scream. You know, and, and let your kids know when you yell at them, apologize. I am really sorry. Mommy sinned against you. It was not okay. Will you forgive me? Children almost always will forgive you. But never put yourself as a mother out from under God's authority. If, if I'm raising children who have to obey God, they have to see a mother who is under God's authority. And so behavior that is unacceptable for your children is unacceptable for you. And that is so important. And it means you'll be apologizing a lot to your children. I mean, that's just the bottom line. But I think, I think in doing that, your children see walking with Jesus isn't some kind of game or some kind of artificial thing or some way to control my children, but Jesus is a real person. My mother is accountable to him and she's teaching me to be accountable to him. And again, home is the hardest place. I mean, you cannot fake it at home. <coughs> And you will make a million mistakes and you will blow it. And you'll make mistakes and not know you made mistakes. And so you, you, I'm not saying this so you live in condemnation. Like, oh, I'm such a failure. I'm such a failure. Yeah, you, we all, apart from Christ, are failures. But with Christ, Christ is the hope of glory. So, you know, when I had my first child, I thought I'm going to be the perfect mother. I'm going to devote my life to my children. I'm going to homeschool them all. I'm never going to yell at them. I'm never going to lose it. I'm never going to be overbearing. I'm going to give them wings. And, you know, there I am in the Denver airport saying, Juge, don't stay here. Come home with me. Don't leave me. <laughs> so, and, and there I am having to, I've done terrible things that I regret. But, so... I think if the motive of our heart is to honor Christ, 
then we have to allow his grace to cover our failures. But we have to have that motive in our heart to love our children. And I think one of the most important things in loving our children is to be real and to allow your relationship with God to show to your children. Because our relationship with God is a living, vital thing, and it changes us. And people respect when they see other people change and grow. They have a lot of respect for that, especially your children. Um, Another thing with loving your children is allow them to know every single day how special they are and that God loves them and God has set them apart for a purpose. And, and, And teach them the word. Speak the word to your children. Speak the word, speak the word, speak the word. Pray for your children. Pray with your children. Um, Train your children to pray. Train your children to worship. Invest in the lives of your children. If you really truly want to invest in the lives of your children, it will curtail a lot of other activity because you only have so much time in your life. So, you know, there have to be times when you're with your children that you're fully there. The hardest time I found in my life was after my mom died, that um, it was very, like, I was so sad that I wanted to, like, just pull away. And I felt that way for several years. And then after my dad died, I remember... I went to his parking lot of the retirement center. I used to go there and cry. I used to just sit in the parking lot and cry, you know, just missing him and missing my mom. And um, and it was so weird because here I am, like, missing my mother and her love, but then I felt like I was pulling in, you know, away from people. And so things like that happen in your life where you're hurting and it's hard to know really as a mom how to handle that because you know um it's not like you can really explain that to a child do you know what I mean so um all of us I think in our life have burdens that are hard and they do make us act in ways to protect our heart and when we protect our heart, it's we can come across cold to other people. Does that make sense? And unloving. So that's, I mean, and sometimes I think it helps to know that sometimes when people seem cold to you, it's not you. It's something else. And I think that's important to remember. Um. So another thing with loving your children is make special days special, like holidays and birthdays and things like that. Let your children um, feel valuable. Um, You don't have to have a lot of money to make your children feel valuable. You can do special things really cheap. Um, Like next week, (laughs) I'm going to bring hot dogs wrapped in crescent rolls. They're going to be little mummies. (laughs) (laughs) They're really cheap to make. 
and um, to co op, not next week, but the next week. But um, and you can you can do so many things, you know, and also make time to play with your children, like to just do things that they like to do. Um, I'm thinking of Juge because she's gone, but she wanted to climb the lighthouse, and I'm very scared of heights. So, <laughs> so I was like, we climbed. Did you go that day? Did you go, Shine? You didn't climb all the way, though. Yeah. So Shine wimped out. And <laughs> Shine opted out. <laughs> and so Juju and I are climbing to the top. Now, this is how scared I am. On the way down, <laughs> help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. <laughs> so I didn't know you could. It was magnifying the whole thing all the way down. <laughs> So you could hear me coming down. Help me, Jesus. <laughs> because the steps were like around a circle. <laughs> so it was like, and my feet are big. I don't have like little baby feet. So I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm going to fall. I'm going to go crashing like however many. It's the Ponce Inlet Lighthouse. But I think like I, I climbed to the top for my daughter because she wanted to do that. So I just climbed to the top for her. And so I think sometimes, you know, maybe that would never matter to her, but it would matter to Jesus. Do you know what I'm saying? And he would honor that. So sometimes you you put forth everything you have, but you miss the mark. Like you think, oh, this is really going to make my child full love, but you miss the mark. But it matters to God that you did that and he will, he'll do something with that. Like nothing is ever wasted when you belong to Jesus. And you know, okay. So loving your husband, loving your children and, um, hold on. Where did my glasses go? Oh, they're there. Okay. Um, to love their husbands and children to be self-controlled and pure. So that's the next thing I'm going to talk about, being self-controlled and pure. And um, again, we live in a culture where we don't, it's not popular to be self-controlled and pure. Self-control with money. I'm, I'm going to just touch on that a little bit. One of the, one of the most, one of the things that women struggle with that I see, biggest thing is self-control with money and overspending, spending when they're depressed. Um, Mary, can I talk about you? Okay, because Mary, when I first met Mary, I remember they came and they, they wanted us to do a budget with her. And, and she could not figure out where the money was going. I mean, it was just like a nightmare, right? It was a nightmare. And so, I mean, after they left, Mike and I, Lord, please, please help them, help them, help them. Right now, Mary is one of the most frugal people I know. She manages to pinch and save for things special for her children. She manages, like, there are things I think, oh, Mary's probably not going to be able to afford this. Maybe I can get some people to help out. No, 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 because she's pinched and saved, and she's put it together. So Mary has gone from being psh, 
you know, whatever, wherever the money goes, to being one of the most frugal and generous people that I know. How many of you have ever gotten a gift from Mary? So, so I want to commend you because, and if you feel like you struggle with managing your money, then you go talk to Mary and Mary will pray over you. And, but, but it doesn't matter where you're at. It doesn't matter where you're at in that process. God can change you. So that's all I'm saying. And learning to, you know, say, like, be frugal, be careful. What, what can happen? This is what we tend to do. When we are feeling rejected or we're feeling, <laughs> or we're feeling sad or we're feeling like a failure as a mom or a wife, we want the hurt to go away in our heart. We want to make the hurt go away. That's human nature. If we're hurting, we want the hurt to go away. So what we do is we, we latch on to things that will not make the hurt go away, but we think it will. Like we watch movies or TV shows or eat chocolate or we spend money. I used to... I mean, I'm not kidding. Before I got married, I could go into a Target, and I still to this day, if you handed me $200 or $400, I could walk into Target or Walmart, and in 10 minutes, I could spend the whole thing. Shopping is fun. I don't do it at all. I'm very frugal. I'm very careful. But you will never see me in a mall unless I'm absolutely held at gunpoint because I don't trust myself in a mall. It's not – I'm not against malls. I personally cannot trust myself in a mall because if I walk from one end to the other, I will see 20 things that I never thought about and now suddenly I want to have them. So you guys can know what's in your mind that you latch to and think this will make my hurt go away. Only Jesus will make your hurt go away. Food won't, spending money won't, Eating chocolate won't, although it does taste very good. I think it's a really good way to wait on the Lord. <laughs> I'm waiting on you, Jesus. <laughs> so self-control. Exercise the self-control muscle. That is not my strength. And so over the years, I remember I led Susie to the Lord. That was the end of our freshman year. She went home. And the Lord grew her in self-control. And she came back and she was like, oh, my goodness, the Lord just taught me so much. And he did this and he did this. And, he, and I was so jealous because I'm like, those are all areas I've been praying about, but they're not changed in my life. So don't look at other people. Just, you know, move forward with the Lord. But one of the things that I used to do and um, to grow my self-control muscle is if I got, if I ordered something and I got a package, I would not open it. Laura, you know I've done that. I, and I wouldn't open it and I would just wait and I would be like, okay, okay, okay. And until I calmed down in my spirit, then I would open it because I wanted to train myself to be self-controlled. Now that sounds really silly and I'm not saying to do that, but God will show you things to build that muscle. The next thing is purity. 
we can be really good at, I don't know of anyone in this room that uses cuss words. Maybe some of you do. I'll pray over you when we're done. But I mean, I, I've never heard cuss words coming out of your mouth and things like that. I think purity, you know, like, oh, I don't think any of you would go have, go sleep with some guy you're not married to. Like, I'm not worried about that. You know what I'm saying? I think where purity we have to guard ourselves is our mind. Where do we let our thoughts go to? Where do we let our thoughts go to? You know, we might avoid pornography, but have pornographic thoughts. We might never consider doing something in the natural, but we might daydream about a man in our mind who's not our husband. Am I making any sense? So bring every thought captive. Be pure. Be pure in the way you dress. Be pure in the way you speak. Be pure in the way you interact with people. And, um, you know, just, I always say to myself, like when I'm in my closet picking stuff out, when I was in college, because I didn't understand purity, I've talked about that before, but I would just go to my closet and I'd say, I'm going to pretend that I'm going to lunch with Jesus. And what would I wear? And that helped me a lot. Or I'm going to pretend right now Jesus is reading my mind because, of course, he is. You know, what do I want to be thinking about right now? Do I really want to be thinking about this? Um, you guys know what I'm saying? Okay. All right. So pure, self-controlled, and um, to be busy at home. Um, busy at home. Proverbs talks about the woman who wants to be all over the place, everywhere but home. And, um, so I don't have my Bible. I turned to him right now. I can't remember which chapters is in one of the early chapters and, and that how that's evil to always want to be gone, always want to be running, always want to never be at home. We, we need to learn as women to be content in our homes. We need as women, I'm not saying we never leave our home. That's not what I'm saying, but that we're busy in our home. We're busy. We're cooking in our home. We're cleaning in our home. We're decorating our home. We're making our home a special place and um, that we're content. You know that um, I, as a homeschooling mom, I used to pick two days a week and I refused to leave my home for any reason. Not to go to the grocery store, no doctor's appointments, nothing, nothing, nothing. And um, sometimes it was three days a week. You know, and because I was a runner, I like to be out and about. I didn't want to miss anything. And I had to cultivate that being busy at home. I would encourage everyone in this room to keep learning skills that you can do at home. Learn to decorate cakes, learn to crochet, learn to knit, learn to sew. Learn. I'm not saying do it all. I'm just saying expand what you know to include other things so that you can take great delight in being busy at home. So, and let people teach you, you know, I remember my um, ladies group up in Virginia beach, we actually brought like a mop and a bucket in and we taught the young moms how to clean their house. Cause some of them didn't know how, but all of you know how to do that, especially you older children in big families, <laughs> you really know how. So being busy at home, um, and being busy at home is honorable. It's very honorable. 
And don't let anyone ever tell you that it's not. It's very pleasing to the Lord. Um, and also to be kind. Um, kindness covers so much. Like you can, you can blow every other area of your life. And if you're just a kind person, you will experience so much success. Kindness makes people's day. It changes people's moods around you. Um, so I, I don't know how to, what to say except this. Work on being kind to the people that you're closest to. Greet your family. Hi, Jenny Rose. Good morning. How did you sleep? This morning, Jenny Rose was rushing off and I was on the computer and she ran over and she said, bye, mom. I love you. And it was like she was rushing, but she took the time to be kind. And and that's, you know, little things like that um, just go such a long way. Doing kind things for people. Um, you know, making, just going out of your way to do things that make a difference. It, it shows love. Um, be kind to the people closest to you. Be kind to one another. Um, and lastly, our favorite and yours, be subject to your husbands or if you're not married to your parents. Um, to be subject to your husbands or to be submissive. Again, and we talked about it last week, it goes beyond doing what they want you to do. It goes to a heart place where you're on their team and they're leading and you're following. Does that make sense? So they're going in a direction and you're supporting them and you're going in that direction with you. And I'm going to give you an example of that. I'm going to talk about Rose again. Rose is, you guys all know this, she's an amazing singer. She's an amazing singer. She's incredibly gifted in music. She can play the guitar. She can play the piano. She can play the smorgasbord. <laughs> What's it called? Xylophone. <laughs> she can play, I mean, she writes songs. She has just an ear. And in all the years that she has been on the team with me and I've been leading, she has been such a great team player. And she has been, she has never made me feel like, oh, mom, out of the way. You know, she's never, and she could, she could easily do that, but that's never been her heart. And that's, that's what I'm saying. Like, Following someone and supporting someone doesn't mean you're not better than they are. It doesn't mean that. It means that you're on their team and you're following where they're going. And I think that's important to keep in mind. Um, so um, I'm going to stop right now so that we can have time to pray. But I, I want you to take away from this practical things like I want everyone to share with me one takeaway that you can like just raise your hand if you have a takeaway from tonight 